welcome to Healing 101, the mini bite-sized episodes that are bursting full of information from leading experts and doctors who are here to help us understand difficult topics and teach us about the various ways we might be able to improve our mental health. The point of these episodes is to educate you about different mental health disorders and therapies that you may never have heard of before, because ultimately, the more people know, the more people we can help on their healing journeys. On today's Healing 101, I am joined by psychotherapist Sarah Desange. After struggling with binge eating disorder and an episode of bulimia for more than a decade, she has gone on to specialize in helping others recover from binge eating. In 2020, she self-published her book, I Can't Stop Eating, which reached the Amazon bestsellers list. She has now made it her mission to raise awareness of binge eating and to help her clients develop a sense of self-trust around food again. So can we first of all talk about binge eating disorder and what exactly it is? Sure. So maybe let's start with what a binge is. So a binge within the context of binge eating disorder is eating in a discrete window of time. So the example giving is around a two hour window, an amount of food that is definitely larger than most people would eat in similar circumstances. And it's accompanied by a sense that you've lost control. So you can't control that. Then there's some more criteria. There's a little subset criteria. And it's things like eating rapidly or eating to the point where you feel uncomfortably full. It's eating secretly. It's guilt and shame. And you just have to hit a few of those other criteria for it to fall within binge eating disorder. Uh, and the last part of it is that it needs to be accompanied by distress. Sometimes people will hear about binge eating and there's someone in their life, they think, oh, I'm going to diagnose you know, my dad or my cousin or my friend with binge eating disorder. But actually, if that person is okay with their behavior, it doesn't become an eating disorder. So it's not just about the behavior around food, it's how you feel about the behavior around food as well. And of course, it has to be without compensatory behaviors. So if binge eating is accompanied by over-exercise or laxatives or purging or something like that, in those scenarios, it would come under a bulimia diagnosis as opposed to binge eating disorder. I'd love for you to elaborate on what the difference between binge eating and overeating is. The most distressing part about binge eating is the feeling out of control. So the definition of binge eating that I gave, that is the diagnostic explanation of what a binge is from a medical and psychiatric perspective but people are using the word binge all the time and I've worked with people for whom maybe other people would look at what they've eaten and go that's not a huge amount of food but for them their level of distress can be as high as someone else who's eating a lot of food as well so I think it's important just to note that there is a difference between what we think of as clinical binge eating and how we might use just the term binge eating anyway It's more than just impulsive, it's compulsive. So compulsivity, it feels like you are acting against your own will. And that, I think, is one of the most distressing parts. I also think one of the ways to tell the difference with whether it's binge eating or more general overeating is when it's binge eating and it falls within disordered eating or an eating disorder, it's like the harder you try to stop, the worse it seems to get. It doesn't get better with your efforts to try to stop it. Whereas if you're perhaps just being a bit mindless around food, sometimes you're eating more because you're not really thinking about it. If you put the efforts in to pay a bit more attention and balance out what you're eating, you're probably going to be more successful. So that's how I often 
pull them apart. It's a lot to do with trying harder. It gets worse when it comes under the disordered eating category. I was listening to you speak about one occasion where you had had two weeks where you had managed not to binge and then you were presented by a friend with a cake for your birthday and you suddenly found yourself being like, I just, I can't stop a slice and taking the cake home and then devouring the whole thing. That resonated a lot with me because I too had an exact same instance a few months ago and it's it's really challenging and I think people underestimate the feelings of guilt and shame that go alongside the, oh, I've had a few too many pieces of cake. And most people who overeat might just be like, okay, fine, tomorrow I'll just have some soup and eat a bit more healthily. Whereas someone with the binge eating disorder is just plunges into that self-loathing, self-hatred, I'm out of control feeling. It feels like a switch has just gone in your brain sometimes. And you're just going through the motions. And I've had binges where I felt almost dissociated and come to at the end of the binge and just thought, what on earth has happened? And other binges I've had where I'm in there watching, so I'm a bit more conscious about what's going on. And that varies a bit from person to person. There's something about it. It's like a different part of your brain is making the decisions. Like our lower brains, where our emotional centers are, but also our appetite and our primal drives are. And the more activated our lower brains get and the more stressed we get, the more the blood moves away from the prefrontal cortex at the front of our brains. So it doesn't even feel like we're making decisions anymore. We're not thinking it through. So yeah, there's a, there's a real physiological experience, I think, to a binge that's not necessarily present with more general sense of overeating. Sarah, I'd love to ask you a bit about your own journey with your binge eating and eating disorder in general, because you've got your own podcast, which you've spoken very eloquently about it. And I'd love for you to tell our listeners about your journey. So my binge eating didn't start until I was in my 20s. I'd actually grown up with a relatively good relationship with food, relatively good relationship with my body. And in my mid-20s, for the first time in my life, I decided to try to lose a bit of weight. And it wasn't because I felt unhappy in my body. I just remember noticing that my weight had crept up by a small amount over a few years And I think I remember one of my favorite pairs of jeans not fitting and thinking, I just want to lose a tiny bit of weight uh, just so that I don't have to buy new jeans. It seemed like the most benign good, if there is such a thing as a good reason, to uh, try to lose weight. So I did one of these hypnosis CDs, as it was back then, which was just about waiting till you were hungry, eating really slowly and basically stopping when you were no longer hungry. So I did that for a couple of weeks, lost a small amount of weight. Then I went on an all-inclusive holiday straight off the back of that, and that was the first time I binged. It was one of those holidays where it's like a massive buffet, and my partner at the time, he wouldn't get up for breakfast, so I was on my own, there was no one watching me, and I was just eating and eating. I remember one morning having a hot breakfast and something like seven croissants afterwards and feeling like it didn't touch the sides. And I'd never experienced that before. And to begin with, it wasn't distressing. I was just really confused by it. I hadn't had this experience or this feeling before. I was just really confused. But I was on holiday and I thought, ah, you know, it's fine. I can just go back to my hypnosis CD when I get back and it's not a big deal. And I remember getting back from that holiday And weighing myself, my weight was higher than it had ever been just from one week on this all-inclusive, which again, at that point, I think I felt a mild bit of concern and I couldn't get it under control again. Every attempt that I made to try to control my eating or go back to this hypnosis thing, I was just binging constantly 
for the next nine months. So at the nine month point, I started purging some of the time. And then it turned out I have uh, hypopituitarism. So my pituitary gland that controls our hormones, I've got a tumor in my pituitary gland. So a lot of my hormones do not work correctly. And as I was doing research into that, it seemed to be the case that some of this potentially could be hormonal. And so I clung on to that idea and that hope that this was a hormonal issue. And when my hormones were sorted out, uh, so would my eating be. As the hormones were gradually replaced, the urge to eat became slightly less visceral. So the night eating disappeared. So I was getting up in the middle of the night, that disappeared. But the binge eating didn't. And it carried on for the next several years. And I think a big part of why it carried on, because I do think part of it was hormonal. But I think a big part of the reason why it carried on was I kept trying to, I didn't think I was restricting. But, you know, I had a head that was filled with all the diet culture messages. So actually, what I was imagining was the way I should be eating was restrictive in hindsight. But at the time, I didn't think that that was what I was doing. I don't know if I heard it or whether I realized I was hearing a lot of talk about restriction and just ignoring it because I didn't think it applied to me. And somewhere I picked up or heard or realized how even planning to restrict was triggering binge eating. And that, I think, was a very significant moment because I realized, oh, whenever I'm trying to lose weight, it's triggering off binges. So by letting go of the trying to restrict and lose weight part, the binges evened out. But I think having had so many years of being in quite a disordered place with food, what I was left with at that point was just quite an emotional relationship with food. So whilst the binging reduced, I still felt like I was doing a bit more general overeating, a bit more emotional eating. And there is nothing wrong with emotional eating. I still emotionally eat sometimes now, but it's not what it was at that time. So I think then the next couple of years was really understanding my relationship with myself and with my emotions and and how food was a reflection of that. So it has been lots of stages. And I think of it as always this ongoing thing of my relationship with food, my relationship with self. And even now, if something's a bit off, maybe I've got something emotionally going on that I haven't quite acknowledged or made any sense of, but it's going on in the background. One of the first ways it will show up is it will show up with, I want to eat. So now I tend to, I've shifted the way I think about it and I tend to see there's actually a lot I can learn about myself from how I'm feeling about food. Thank you for sharing your story. It's incredibly powerful and it's really lovely that you can be so open and honest about it. And I'm sure so many people have and will still continue to find that so helpful. What treatment did you find the most helpful and what did you not find so helpful over the years? And is that something that's ongoing for you or have you finally got to the stage where you can be your own therapist and you know what works and doesn't? (laughs) In the beginning, when I first realized what it was, because I was Googling that I couldn't stop eating and I found binge eating disorder on Google. I'd never found it before. There wasn't any social media talking about it. I mean, Instagram didn't even exist at that time. So I looked up help and I went to see a CBT therapist and it was not a great experience. She told me, what I needed to do. She gave me food diaries. I had to plan my food. I had to notice what I was feeling, all of that. And I did everything she told me to do to the letter and my binge eating did not reduce. And I remember as I was leaving after my seventh session, something like that, as I was leaving, she said to me, Sarah, I really want you to try this week. And at that time, I just remember tumbling into this 
complete well of shame because I thought that she was right. And I thought for years, I thought the reason why I hadn't recovered was because I was not trying hard enough. So, of course, then I kept trying, which then made it worse. But that reinforced this belief that I wasn't trying hard enough because I couldn't see that I was trying because I wasn't being quote unquote successful. So, yeah, that was a big part of it. And then I decided to train to be a therapist while I was still very much in my eating disorder. And I didn't train to be a therapist with the intention of working with disordered eating. I kind of thought maybe if I ever managed to get through it, that I might do it. But it was not my intention. I was just going to go and and work with everything. And so as part of our training, we have to be in personal therapy ourselves. So I had five years of, of personal therapy within my training. And I didn't work with any therapists who understood anything about this eating stuff. No one spoke to me about restriction or restrictive thinking. It was helpful with me spending that time looking at what was going on in my own mind, trying to make sense of who I was, how I thought about people, uh, how I thought about myself and people and my own emotional responses. And so that, I think, helped to lay a foundation. But I would say it was, I, I read the Intuitive Eating book in 2010, I think, tried it out thought this is amazing because I had a week and a half or something where I didn't binge and then I did binge one day and I just threw the book out. I was like, oh, this doesn't work, got rid of it. But I did revisit intuitive eating again sort of about five years later, but I applied it in a very informalized way. So I did not get treatment from anybody for my binge eating. I've shared in other places my biggest teachers was the work of Byron Katie She talks a lot about questioning your beliefs and doing that work really actively. I've got the app where you fill in all the questions, actively doing that work regularly on my beliefs and feelings about other people most of the time. With uh, Byron Katie's work, you do it on situations as opposed to just about yourself. And it balanced something out there. And then the other part was Eckhart Tolle's work about being in the present and accepting the moment. Because my personal philosophy and what I found helped for me, if I can really accept this moment, everything about it, what I'm feeling, what's happening and what's not happening, if I can accept this moment, the compulsion to escape the moment disappears because there's nothing to escape. doesn't mean it's comfortable, but I've accepted that this is just my current moment. So that's my life philosophy at the moment is always trying to accept this current moment, working with life, not against life. And that I think has been the most transformative thing so that philosophy does underpin my work but I don't I didn't have treatment for it I never worked with a professional who got it so I just try and be that for other people now Hurt to Healing has partnered with Brown Advisory to bring you this podcast Brown Advisory a global investment management firm is passionate about raising awareness of mental health challenges in order to help people thrive in an ever-changing world A big thank you to Brown Advisory for supporting my mission. I don't know what you think about this, but I have always found it extraordinary how we use the word binge, because for me, it has such negative connotations and such feelings of shame even attached to it. I remember when my parents first started using the word binge binge and be like oh Pandora are you binging oh that's a binge on vegetables or that's a binge on fruit I just felt like I was suddenly turning into this gluttonous I mean for someone who had restricted for so many years to suddenly be 
labeled as a binger. And even if it was on healthy food, it was still classified as a binge because some therapist decided one day to tell my parents that, oh, well, she obviously just binges on healthy food, but it's still binging. And she binges on exercise and binges on, it's like we say, oh, they're binging on a Netflix show or they're binging. I really hate the word and I just would love to know your opinions on it because I do think that it's maybe something to do with linguistics that we need to change. There's something in there, I think, about your experience of the word and how it was used almost as a way of judging where you were at, making inferences about what your behavior meant. For me, nobody's used that word at me. So it was a word that I found online and it made sense to me. So I don't have a particularly Mm. negative charge around the word. And actually, when people talk about binging a TV show, they're using it in a very lighthearted way. So I'm not sure whether my experience of the word, whether I'm in agreement there that it is a word that's been particularly stigmatized. I think some people will have had that experience of it and maybe some people would have had something else. I think the fact that it's being spoken about more is helpful. And I say that, but I remember when I first started working just with binge eating and people would ask me what I did, probably for a good six months or so, I kept saying still, I'm an eating disorder therapist. I didn't say I'm a binge eating therapist. But now I really enjoy using that word when people ask me what I do because they just look confused. And I used to rush in and explain. And now I don't. I just tell them and I just wait and I just watch their confusion and I watch their mind trying to figure out what does that mean if someone's saying that they work with binge eating. Some people assume that means helping people lose weight, but obviously that's not the case at all. It's an interesting one. I don't know. I feel like we might need to do a bit of research around the word to see how maybe people who've never experienced binge eating, how do they think about that word? Is it a word that has a lot of charge for people or not? I'm not sure. No, it's a very good point. So will you just mind talking us through your biopsychosocial model around binge eating and eating disorders? Because I think that's really interesting. Firstly, it's it's not my model. I think it's generally spoken about in terms of eating disorders being biopsychosocial. And what that means is, well, here's the problem. You've got the medical world who wants to look at everything through the biological lens. So they will say this is a problem with processed foods or sugar or a metabolic issue or something like that. And then you've got some of the psychotherapists who are like, oh, no, this all goes back to childhood. It's all early issues. It's stuff like that. You'll have the anti-diet movement who'll say, no, no, it's all because of dieting. And it's because if we stop dieting, then binge eating will just cease to exist. And the truth is, there's probably something of everything in there. And for some people, it will be more one thing or more, more another. So from a biological perspective, we are looking at things like hormonal problems, even some neurodiversity themes, things like ADHD or dopamine-seeking behaviours, or even in people who who don't have ADHD, we all have dopamine-seeking behaviours as well. Anything we do that can hijack the reward system, we can develop an addictive cycle with. I am not saying food addiction is a thing, but I think we can develop addictive cycles with them. So there's a whole load of biological things that are going on. And even restriction is comes into biology because it's a biological response as well as a psychological one. And then the psycho part is, of course, how we think and feel about food. And again, that overlaps with biological because even thinking about food creates hormonal changes in the body. 
what we believe about foods when we're categorizing them as good or bad or how much food we think we're supposed to eat or what were the patterns early on around food what are the belief systems that we hold that's going to be part of it as well are we emotional eating that's going to come under the psycho part of the model and then the last bit is the social side of things so that might be pressures to lose weight from cultural pressures to lose weight it might be morality around food that's often found in interactions with other people how many people would go out for dinner with a group of friends and let's say you really want dessert but nobody else on the table is ordering, ordering dessert even somebody who doesn't have disordered eating is going to be less likely to order that dessert because we are impacted socially by the eating behaviors of those around us and that can work in a helpful or benign way or it can be really unhelpful and lead to disordered eating so I think all the model does is it doesn't really provide answers, but it shows the breadth and the complexity when we're talking about something like eating. And so when people talk about binge eating in this really reductive, oversimplified way, I think it, it does a disservice to the people who are struggling with it. Do you um, recommend that clients avoid certain foods they find really triggering or do you try and encourage them to keep those foods in their diet and just regulate their appetite for them a bit more or eliminate them for a period and then reintroduce them? What's your advice around that? I think the ideal would be that manage to make peace with all foods. For some people, doing that in an all-in approach, I'm just bringing it all in and I'm doing it that way, works really well. But it doesn't work for everybody. Some people, particularly, there's a lot more fear around certain foods. It might be doing it gradually. It might be doing it slowly. Sometimes intuitive eating can sound like you fill your cupboards up with all your binge foods and because they're there, you won't want to eat them. And some people find that that works sometimes and that doesn't work with other times. For me, I didn't keep my binge foods in the house for quite a while, actually, while I was actively working on my recovery. But what I did do, because I was living in London with like Tesco Express and a Sainsbury's just across the street, was I would say to myself, okay, I can have my foods whenever I want them but I have to go and, and buy them at that time as opposed to having them in because I just needed that I call it like a reactionary gap because when it was in the kitchen if I slipped into mindlessness I could go back and forth back and forth back and forth and now I feel sick and I binged if I had to make the decision to go to the shop there was just a moment of pausing of being really gentle with myself and being like it's okay you can go you can have this just try to make it a peaceful decision. Try to make it something you're going to enjoy. And all of those things, and just checking in with whether there was anything going on for me, it gave me that little gap just to reflect before I did it. And finally, I'd love to ask you a bit about body acceptance because that's something I've certainly and continue to really, really struggle with. And we all have features that we don't like so much or we all have body parts that we wish were smaller or bigger or whatever. But I think when you are in recovery from an eating disorder, that can be really, really challenging. And the self-loathing that can set in, even when the eating is definitely better, can be really, really tricky. And what do you advise people do to ignite that sense of self-acceptance and a bit of self-love? The first thing is we need to be willing to, even if we don't know how. So if our free will is not on board, we won't be able to do it. If we think, oh, I should accept my body because that's the only way to recover from an eating disorder. That's different to, okay, I'm willing to accept my body even if I don't know how. So I start with the question, I'll ask people, are you willing to accept your body even if you don't know how to do it? 
sometimes there might be some hesitation. Sometimes there'll be a, no, no, actually, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do want to do that. If the answer is no or there's some uncertainty, I think the next question is, can you see an advantage, any advantage to accepting your body as it is today? Remembering you're only accepting it as it is today. You're not accepting the future. So I think as well, body acceptance is a practice as opposed to a one-off decision. So sometimes someone might feel quite accepting of their body and then a couple of weeks later they have a, a bad body image day and they feel that sense of, oh, I've gone back to square one and was it? Never, obviously I wasn't really accepting my body because I've managed to feel like this again. But we, I think we can get triggered back into it. So when people have asked me, like, how did you accept your body? I think it's not a very satisfying answer to people, I'm afraid. I said, but I, I eventually accepted my body just because it was hurting too much not to. It wasn't worth the the pain that that caused. So it was a humbling and it was humility because there is a part of us that when we want our bodies to be a certain way, we're trying to find a sense of self and identity in that and also a sense of value in our bodies. I think the humility part that was a tough pill to swallow because I don't think I'm a naturally humble person, but I feel like life threw this eating disorder at me and it, it knocked me to my knees. And and that whole, is it Eleanor Roosevelt, it's often quoted around humility being, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. So sometimes when that, you know, it's got a hold of you, that poor body has got a hold of you and it's turning your gaze inwards and you are feeling anxious and you're feeling shame and all these horrible feelings that you're feeling, Figuring out how to move your gaze outside of you. Text somebody and just check in with how they are. Can you do something for somebody else? There's something around bringing the focus off of yourself where you're just not feeling worthy or valuable and putting that focus onto someone else. It's really helpful. And and what would you say to a listener who's got a friend, a partner or a family member who's really struggling with binge eating? I think one of the first things I say is don't try to get it. Don't try to make out you understand or even try and show that you understand because you cannot. If you've not experienced a binge, that kind of binge that completely takes you over, where it feels like there's something else in you that's making you do this, I don't think you can ever understand it. I certainly could never have understood it if I hadn't experienced it myself. So I think it's beginning with having the humility, there's that word again, to be able to go, I don't understand what this is, but... I believe you. I believe this is something that is beyond your control. Like, I believe that this is hard. Because one of the worst things, and people will tell me this kind of thing all the time, is they'll tell someone and someone will go like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. Because, you know, gosh, sometimes I'll eat a whole box of Maltesers or something like that. And you're like, really? I don't think you, I think you have a clue about what I'm talking about, right? So I think it's that. And I think it's not judging. And just even asking and saying, what would be helpful to you? They may not know, but I think if we care about someone and someone is suffering, whatever that might be, to reach out and go, look, I know you're in pain with this. Is there anything I can do to support you? Is there anything that I do that makes this more difficult for you? Because that can be a really hard thing to say, especially if a person struggling with binge eating tends to fall in the people-pleasing side of things. It's really hard to say if somebody keeps doing or saying something that you're finding difficult because maybe you think, oh, you can't police them or anything like that. So as the person who wants to help the other, I think one, yeah, recognizing you don't get it, not judging, 
offering, asking if there's anything they can do or anything that they can stop doing that will support them as well. And giving them a little bit of space to figure it out as well. Because it's that kind of, sometimes someone will work with me and like loved ones will be going, oh, so how's the therapy going? How's the therapy going? You know, that constant, when you're so invested in the person you care about changing, now they have the guilt of feeling like they need to change for you. And they're feeling bad that you're still, you want them to get better and they can't get better fast enough. I think there's a level of patience as well with this and no, accepting that you can't fix this for them. And don't go jumping into problem solving if they're not bringing up problem solving first. Because people will try and help and often in the trying to help, they do worse than if they just say, I don't know how to help, do you? Because they might say things like, oh, well, then let's not keep these foods in the house or let's go and do this exercise or let's do this or let's do that. And it, it kind of suggests that people are not not smart enough to have thought of these things. People know this stuff. They know the practical things. But something like binge eating or any eating disorder can make it feel impossible to actually put them into practice. I could talk to you for hours, Sarah, but it's been, yeah, such a joy to have you on. And um, I really can't thank you for your time and also for the incredible work that you do. You too, Pandora. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to this episode of Healing 101. Just a reminder that if you're struggling or in need of someone to talk to, please remember to text SHOUT to 85258. Thank you.